Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot where the conversations are pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Did you bring your thinking caps? Because it's time to put them on. Because the conversation starts now. At your favorite spot, the place where the conversation is pointed and the guests are sharp, the responses are never dull. Today, Brains, we are going uh, inside the heart of a nurse, but also we're going to talk about some theater, some entertainment, a one-woman show. Dr. Candy Campbell, she is an international speaker, award-winning author, she's an actor, and also a filmmaker. I love the arts. She's going to take us inside and backstage. So let's start with Act One. How are you, Dr. Candy Campbell? I am great, and it's so nice to be with you, April. Thank you. Well, I'm so glad to have you. Me and the brains, you know, I love to have well-rounded shows on my podcast. I don't want to just focus on, you know, business or recovery or you know metaphysical or finance we want to be entertained and you are uh, a very layered woman because you do a little bit of all of those things but you are also an accomplished author not once but twice tell us a little bit about your background and how you show up in the world you know I love the quote by Einstein. He said, uh, imagination is more important than knowledge. And I was blessed with a good imagination as a little kid. I think that that sometimes happens in a family when, like I was, I was the, uh, I wasn't the only child, but I was the last child and my siblings were a lot older than me. So, and they were boys. So uh, I was left to play alone a lot. And between me and my dolls, we imagined a lot of things. And as I grew up, that ability to imagine yourself as somebody else is sort of stuck with me. And it served me pretty well, if I do say so myself. Imagination is key. I love it. Uh, You know, and I always talk about and think about my daughter, who is a fantasy freak. She was at Disney 34 times last year. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> right. And I was like, you know, what are you doing there with that mouse? Is it an occult? What is going on? She says, Mom, it's the happiest place on earth. And she she was in the theater. She's in costume design and, and um, a makeup artist. But you're able to transform yourself and uh, transplant yourself into other places of time and other people's heads into alternative realities. Tell us where, um, you know, you started at you know, because you started as a nurse, correct? That was your, your no, 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 no. I started as an actor. Really? Yeah, I know a lot of people, a lot of people get that mixed up. Well, tell us about your acting career. When did you get the acting bug about how old were you? And was it in an elementary school play or? My experience in elementary school was I, I, I was cast as a supernumerary in in a little show at the age of eight, but it was so 
such a bad experience. Now I look back and having directed and acted uh, quite extensively, I can understand why it was a bad experience. But that particular teacher, bless her heart, she was tasked with putting on this show. And she really did not have a clue what to do or how to go about it. Mm. And that is, um, you know, unfortunately left a really bad taste in my mouth. And so I sort of fell into acting accidentally. I went to uh, college with my initial degree as a, a um, speech communications professional. And I, um, I had a full ride scholarship in the day. Uh, I thought maybe I would be a speech pathologist or something. Don't know. I love to do, uh, I was on the speech team in high school and loved to do interpretive reading and after dinner speaking and things like that that were fun. Uh, but then what happened was my roommate was a theater major. And gosh, the uh, the bug hit me then when I started doing costuming, like your daughter, for a show that she was in. And uh, this is a story I rarely tell, April. You just sparked something here. So we were working on children's theater and I was a costumer. And it, the way it happened was somebody was cast to be Bossy the Cow, right? The front end, <laughs> the front end of Bossy the Cow. But, but for whatever reason, there was nobody for the back end and I had to make the costume. So I had everything all ready. It was, you know, it was big because I didn't know if it was going to be a small person or a big person. And uh, the day of tech rehearsal, I was asking everybody, I said, I, do you, does anybody know? you know, who's going to be this person? The director was a person who was a bit aloof and sort of scared people. And I, I was a freshman. So, you know, I didn't want to really approach him. But uh, somebody said to me, uh, you know, in fact, the guy who, uh, Fred Reinerson, who was playing the, the front end of the cow, he said to me, you got to go ask Nordy. I don't know. And that's the director. So I, I went up there and just picture this, April. It's a very large stage and there it's tech rehearsal and it's and it's like an hour before the, the tech rehearsal starts. So there's people up in the rafters and they're putting up lights and there's ladders and there's a lot of sound people running around and he's barking orders. He's got a, he's got a whistle like a gym instructor you know <laughs> and he's kind of a little man and um he's um uh, anyway let me just say that I had to get his attention it was so loud in there and I said excuse me and he didn't hear me and I said excuse me and he didn't hear me again and I kind of snuck up behind him and tapped him on the shoulder and he whipped around and he goes <laughs> and I said I'm sorry um, but, you know, I have to make the the uh, costume for the back end of the cow. And he said, what do you say? Real loud. And I said, he goes, just a minute. And he goes, with this whistle. And everybody shuts up and they all look at him because he's going to give something, you know. And he says, tell everybody what you just said. And I'm like who's going to be the back end of the cow? And everybody just burst into laughter because evidently that's how you got elected to be it. And he turned around and he pointed me and he said, you know, you know, I'm going to be the back end of the cow. 
god. Oh my god. And it was such a fun thing. And uh turns out that uh Bossy the Cow got some of the, the biggest uh standing ovations of that show. And uh that was the beginning, let's just say. <laughs> that was the beginning of the end, right? Yeah, of the end. <laughs> That's wonderful. That is wonderful. You know, I've always wondered about acting. Now I'm a performer as well. I'm a stand-up uh spoken word poet. And I've done and produced my own country western um, show, but I've never done acting, or should I say I've acted, but not a fool, you know. <laughs> Remembering your lines and doing the runs, tell people how that works, because that seems to be so difficult. That is the kind of subject that I could start talking on for a long time. Uh, if I might, let me say that, yes, because that's a, a big issue in terms of in, in, in acting, we call it the muscle memory, the being able to remember things. And the way you do it is not so unlike what I imagine you do when you perform your spoken word poetry. And I'll tell you a little tag story to that in a second. But what I mean is you visualize certain things that lead you along the next sort of chunk of dialogue. Now, in a in a play that's written with a lot of other characters, there's a lot of acting theory that goes into what you're seeing from that person, the way they're presenting themselves, their body language, their eyes, the tone of, you know, tone of voice, all of that helps keep the um the script fresh to you. Um in the show that I'm currently doing, since I wrote it myself, my third solo show, um well, it was such well let me just say we haven't introduced this show yet so maybe i should start there okay okay so my third solo show which means i'm the only person on stage doing all the other characters is called an evening with florence nightingale the reluctant celebrity and i will say that when i first started crafting this show with the original director Bobby Wineapple there in the San Francisco area I had some ideas and being a person who's schooled in improv had my own improv company there in uh, San Francisco for a few years um, we Bobby and I started um, improving some scenes you know just thinking about it and as it turned out as I was telling people that I was constructing this show and there's a whole other story about how that happened but um somebody at my church said oh really that sounds interesting she's a historical character and I said yeah she she usually appears in the top 10 or 25 most influential women in history she was really, a, as I call her, a spunky old broad. She did a lot in a time when women didn't do a lot. Right. And so um, this person who, who happened to be the um, the pastor in charge of um, youth and seniors, I think, at this large church said, well, how about this? 
when do you think it's going to be finished? And I said, well, I don't know. I just started. This was, I think, in January of 2014. I said, I just started working on it. And he goes, well, I know. How about if we book you for December for our, for our senior luncheon? We have about 200 people that come. Wow. And so I said, okay, how long? And he said, 50 minutes, five, zero minutes. I said, okay. So going along, uh, we're working on this show off and on for the better part of that year. And uh, it turns out it was about six weeks prior to the go live on this particular show. And Bobby and I decided to do a table read of all the things that we'd cobbled together that we had to see what it sounded like. Wow. It was two hours and 15 minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> which was way too long and so that night it was a Friday night I went home on the train there in San Francisco which is called BART and there so happily for me the next two days I think it was a long weekend I had off and I basically went to bed that night just prayed for wisdom and guidance what was I gonna do and I woke up with an idea early. And I don't think I got out of my PJs for a couple of days. I realized if I took two hours and 15 minutes and put it into spoken word poetry, I could cut it. And that is the show. Oh, okay. So there's a cadence, there's a rhythm, there's a history, there's a story, there's a purpose, uh, and there's a vibe and an energy because that's a lot um, that is what is comprised of spoken word poetry. Uh, it really kind of tells a story. I remember the last poets uh, years ago in the 60s. It was very revolutionary. So uh, it does spark an interest. But to remember that, the cadence um, and the flow, and especially when it's a one-woman show, and you have to keep that dialogue consistent throughout. You know, you can't change because you might have someone there that was there a week ago, and you're here another week and then, well, this part of the play has changed or she didn't say that last time. But as you said, there's a lot of improvisation in that as well. The movement of the character, enveloping her spirit, but also making it your own. What kind of things do you go through to develop your character when you're study. doing it? Yeah, there's a lot of study. And for my, for this instance this sort of brings us back to why in the world did I ever even do this show and it happened that in 2010 when I was a assistant professor at the University of San Francisco our librarian came to a faculty meeting and she said hey everybody do you know this is the 100th year anniversary of Florence Nightingale's death and we're like yeah big whoop you know it's so weird <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> he's our icon but it's kind of a weird thing to be celebrating and she said well the reason I bring it up is because in in uh celebration if you will uh to mark this anniversary the British Library and some other people in Britain have come together and they have finished digitizing her 200 books and articles and over 10,000 of her letters so come on down. It's free. You can, you know, I'll give you the code. You can get in, you can read it. Well, to my knowledge, according to her, I'm the only one who ever asked for the code. So I 
I was teaching, I was on campus three days a week. And when I had an hour or two, you know, to spare, or sometimes before I left, you know, because I didn't want to be in the traffic, I would just open up the computer and start reading. And April, it took me three years to read it. Wow. I can imagine. I can imagine. Didn't think that she was that interesting until you actually delve into it. So talking about writing, it's a great segue. You are the author of one, well, I should say two, because you're going to have a new release. But tell us a little bit about your original body of work when it comes to literary work. Well, my first book, if that's what you want to ask about, it's if I don't know, some of your viewers aren't going to view on video, but in the screen behind me, you can see the six books. And uh, the first three were children's books. And again, uh, I never woke up thinking I was going to be an author. It's just that when somebody says they want a book and you can't find the book, and then I'm thinking, does that mean I have to write this book? Well, so that's how the children's books came around. My mom is a nurse. My grandma is a nurse. And I was a preemie. Uh, but when it comes to uh, the next three, which are not children's books, the first one that I wrote is uh, Channeling Florence Nightingale, this book. And it was in response to people who saw the show and said, do you have anything else? And I'm like, like what? Maybe <laughs> you have a book? I'm like, I uh, guess I'm going to have to write one. So I did a qualifying, uh, uh, if you will, uh, qualitative study of what I had read. I mean, I was taking notes, you know, I think as an academic, you can't help but start to try and make sense of all I mean it was voluminous this amount of work right. so I had I had it for six categories and I, every time she went off on a rant about something I'd put it I'd, I'd write it down you know keywords in the category and then I realized I could I could meld those six into three categories and the categories that she wrote on that I subtitled the book uh, channeling Florence Nightingale were integrity insight and innovation mm. it's all about that and so that's how the first book came to be wow that's beautiful so tell us uh, a little bit about what you're going to read for us uh, we're going to be fortunate enough to get an excerpt and a reading well uh if anybody wants to come and see the show it's going to be off broadway in march uh, they will recognize that there is a lot of the spoken poetry in the book. And what I did is sort of separated it into three acts based on those words, integrity, insight, and innovation. And so after each sort of segment, I decided, based on the idea of another well-known to, to many author who was a who's been an, a mentor to me? Uh, he said, "You know what? This is really good, but I think people want to know your story. They want to hear your voice in this too." So after each section, I put in my own perspective about how this learning this or 
knowing about this, how it's impacted or paralleled my life. So I wrote this perspective on discovery. I feel great affinity with Miss Nightingale for many reasons. We both spent much time in our formative years pondering universal questions regarding our purpose here on earth. And both of us spent concentrated time traveling and studying other cultures. I studied in Vienna half a year as an undergrad. And then in the course of the next five years, lived in New York, Los Angeles, Sydney, Paris, Cologne, London, and Honolulu. My work took me to more places than I'll take time to list. It was a wonderful education. I received the call to be a nurse while working as a flight attendant when 124 passengers vomited in unison. The backstory was one sunny day in Portland, Oregon, when I was a girl, my Uncle Gus took my father and me up in his one-engine plane, and when he did some loop-de-loops, I screamed, wing, and my dad lost his lunch. <laughs> and that day, I announced to my mom that when I grew up, I was going to be a stewardess. And then we have to fast forward. A year after I graduated from college with a degree in speech communication and theater emphasis on acting... By that time, I planned to take the acting fellowship that I had been offered with the University of Minnesota's prestigious Guthrie Theater in their MFA program. Boy, I was all set until life got in the way. Undaunted, I worked on my plan B, which was to go to L.A. or New York and carve out an acting career over there. Unfortunately. I experienced a classic casting couch encounter with a director that derailed my interest in the acting. Call me picky, but I also acquired some inconvenient preferences, like wanting more than one meal a day and performing with my clothes on. <laughs> so when Pan Am came to town to conduct interviews, I remembered that day in Uncle Gus's plane, and I envisioned a way to break free from my parents and see the world. Sound familiar? Yes. So back to my calling. It was 120 degrees Fahrenheit on the tarmac in New Delhi, India, when we set out for Karachi, Pakistan. And those were the days when we served a hot meal on every flight. The irony is that earlier in the flight, I had gone up to the first class cabin to fetch something. And as I passed by, a passenger touched me. He was clutching his throat in the classic choking gesture. So quickly, I called for help and prepared to do one of my newly learned skills called the Heimlich maneuver. He stopped me, not choking, cardiac, he grasped, he gasped. Well, happily, my crewmates and I went and got the oxygen, administered it, and he stabilized. When I got back to my station, I told my colleague what happened. And she was impressed that I knew what to do and asked, are you a nurse? No, I said, my high school counselor told me she doubted if I'd even pass chemistry. But I do think about nursing school every time somebody on the plane gets sick. And so later, after having served the heavy lunch, 
we got some heavy turbulence. The captain put the seatbelt side on, and just as I got to the jump seat facing the passengers, the plane dropped like a rock. That is when my seatmate and I saw ribbons of vomit. It was enough to make her sick too. So I concluded when it comes to sickness, there's two kinds of people, those that run to help and those that run to hide. Seriously, she said, uh, you really need to consider nursing school. Well, I think that is where I gathered uh, that you had explored and had worked in the nursing field, that and then the history of your mom. That is an incredible story. Uh, Pan Am, I remember that. Uh, the beautiful little outfits that you would wear. And that's when people would fly and they would dress to the nine. They oh, yeah. took great pride in how they were going to arrive and how they sat there and those little seats. And you had leg room once upon a time. <laughs> yes, you as did. Well. So now the arts really have taken a hit over the years and the expectation and some of the film quality. It's going back now. You know, I'm seeing a lot more independent films, um, a lot more independence and diversity when it comes to the theater and people producing their own bodies of work. You know, you said you had an unfortunate casting call um, situation. That happens all the time. But what would you say to keep young people excited about the theater, about the creativity, about you know, even producing your own thing. I mean, you're going to be a one woman show. That's not going to be, well, it's going to be easy for you because you're a trained professional, but it's not easy for everyone. What would you say to someone that's in that uh, situation right now that really wants to be an actor, but they're afraid and they've run across some stumbling blocks. There's a lot of rejection in that as well. I think the craft of acting is just like anything else in the arts. You need to get some good mentoring and education. Um, you know, a lot of people who are who are who do very well as actors are uh, people who who didn't necessarily take a degree in acting. So, uh, but because of what what's happening in the world, there's a lot of really good education that you can get if you're willing to do just just like anything else april you really have to concentrate on learning and i think for a lot of people they think i have a good idea and i want to do a one-person show but they're not necessarily interested in putting in the work that goes with it that said i would say um find you know after you understand what it what it means to be an actor. And if I can just do a little side note here. I remember one time when I was in uh, taking my initial bachelor's degree, uh, I came across a fellow student who said, now, uh, oh, what's your, what's your major now? And I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm in, in acting. And he said, oh, the Liars Club. Wow. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, that's what acting is. It's just lying. It's just pretending you're somebody else. And I I really didn't know what to say right then, but I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I thought about that, especially as a nurse 
and as a nursing instructor. I used to tell my students that when you go into a patient's room, you're going into the theater of the real, and that doorpost is like the proscenium arch. You walk in, and it's kind of like improv. You sort of know the basics if you know uh, who you are and who they are. You're the nurse, they're the patient. Uh, but you may be introduced to other characters, that is their family, their friends, and you know certain other things like they're in for X surgery or they have X diagnosis, whatever it is, and you know your role and what is expected of you. And they may or may not have a good understanding of how to help themselves. It goes on and on and on so that there's no scripted conversation that happens in real life. And the same on the stage when you have a script, let's say I didn't write this script, but I study human behavior. The study of psychology is really what acting is all about. If you understand, even um, they say, if you, if you are, are tasked with doing um acting uh, as a person who's an evil character there's nobody who is born evil you know we all have choices that we make some are better than others and if we go down a certain path and make bad choices you know that can become really evil unfortunately but even the person who thinks or who does, you know, the sociopaths, they usually don't recognize what they're doing and how it impacts other people because they're thinking so much of their self. And as an actor, in order to even portray somebody who is not a great person or hasn't made good choices in life, you really have to understand the human condition. And that's what it's really about. Absolutely. Well, it's very layered and it's very textured. And again, like you said, you have to do the work brains. You can't just think because I have a pretty face or a great figure or, you know, who I know you've got to show up because your audience is waiting for that. And we are going to be waiting uh, with bated breath for your one woman show. Please tell my brains about the production, uh, where it's going to be and how to get in contact with you to follow you and get more information, Dr. Gandy. Thank you. Uh, March 7th, it's uh, opening night, Theater Row in New York. That's 42nd Street off Times Square. It's only a few blocks off Broadway. And um, yeah, I was the show was juried into the United Solo Theater Festival, which is uh, as I understand it, one of the most preeminent solo festivals in the world. And what distinguishes it from some of the other ones, like the Fringe Festival, which I, I started my, my second solo show in San Francisco, was voted one of 10 to watch in, oh, it was early, some time ago. Um, but in the Fringe Festivals, you it's not juried. It's uh, whoever, you know, comes and fills out the the application puts their money down first but this is a juried festival so in theory it's supposed to be um better shows than some other festivals let's just say and i hope that's true um so march 7th 7 p.m the tickets are available at 
unitedsolo.org, or you can call Theater Row. That's the name of the complex that's selling the tickets. Or if you can't think of that and you don't know, just get a hold of me, Candy, C A N D Y, at Candy Campbell, that's campbell.com. And uh, I'll I'll show you how to get tickets if you're in the greater New York metropolitan area. And uh, it's a small theater. It only has 50 seats. So um, petite, there's nothing small. <laughs> a petite theater. And it's very intimate. That's wonderful. And hopefully you'll be able to take that on the road and maybe bring it to San Francisco or Los Angeles. And I will be able to grace uh, the audience and, and yes. the work firsthand. Also, how can we get a copy of one of your amazing six books? Oh, well, they're all on Amazon, I will say. Channeling Florence Nightingale, The Improv to Improve Healthcare, which is the first in the series. The second one is Improv to Improve Your Leadership Team. Uh, that's coming out in April with Business Expert Press in conjunction with Harvard Business Press. And um, yeah, all all of the books, the My Mama's Nurse and all the rest of them. You know, if you if you type in Amazon under books, type in my name that I think all the books come up. So, well, you. you are a come up. And I'm so glad to have had you here to get that great education on what it takes uh, and to be steadfast, but also care, you know, and to show that uh, to others and to follow the trajectory of kind of like the nursing and the nurturing part of it as well. I think that that's very powerful. So thank you so much, Dr. Candy Campbell, for being here with us on the edge. Brains, you know, just transport yourself into another time, another place, another head. Be creative. That's so important. That stimulates your growth. That keeps you um, from being boring. <laughs> And that's what we are not here on the edge. Please go like, love, share, and subscribe. Follow Dr. Candy Campbell. See when she's going to be doing another great uh, play or is she going to be coming out with another great body of literary work. Thank you so much for being here on the edge. I appreciate you and I wish you much success in everything you do. Thank you so much. All right. Bye, brains. Thank you.